Welcome to Traveling Culturati, where we explore cultures and share travel news, travel tips, destinations, and travel chats. Visit TravelingCulturati.com for more information. Well, hey there, fellow Culturati. Javon Harley here, your host and travel pro for Traveling Culturati. Head on over to the website, TravelingCulturati.com, and don't forget to join that travel club because, yes, we are going places in 2022. One of the places that we're going to is Greece. September 1st through the 9th, we will be in Greece, going to Athens and then to Crete. We'll also have some day visits to Santorini and to Spinalonga. So my guests today are actually in Greece calling in and they're going to tell us all about the destination. One of the things I love about Greece is the food and the Mediterranean Sea. And then, of course, going out to the Greek islands. We're going to talk about it all. So make sure you stay tuned for that. And we're going to have the culture report. We're checking in with our travelers who are currently in Ghana. That's right. They are currently in Ghana. They've already visited Accra and had some wonderful experiences. And so we're going to check in with them and have what we call a little casa time. We always have some travel news for you. And today we're going to do it just a little bit different. We're going to talk about the incidents of unruly passengers and passengers behaving badly. There have been some major reports just this month alone and some crazy shenanigans I want to share with you. So that's going to be just about all of our travel news. And then we have a couple of new things we want to tell you about too. Let's start with the FAA investigations and unruly passengers. FAA has started releasing what they call an zero tolerance for unruly and dangerous behavior toolkit. And it's a digital product that will help promote safe and responsible passenger behavior and to bring awareness to the zero tolerance policy, hoping that if they make this available, then people will really understand what they're up against and decide whether or not this behavior is really worth it. Maybe they can help themselves, maybe they cannot, but their product will be a combination of press releases, videos, and graphics. So in this particular graphic, they're taking a year-to-date look at the occurrences. And when I say year-to-date, yes, I'm talking about 2022. It's that serious, folks. So just from January 1st to January 18th is when this particular report was done. They've had 151 investigations that were reported of unruly passengers. 92 were related to face masks. So more than half of these unruly passengers have issues with face masks. And then 32 investigations were initiated and four enforcement action cases were initiated. 4.4 reported incidents per 10,000 flights for the week ending in January 9th alone. But what they've also done is a year-over-year report of investigations that were initiated starting in 1995. 
And it is quite startling, the jump that we took in 2021. But I'll just share some of the earlier findings. And also that the average is about uh, 150, I would say, between 95 and 2000 and 2021, as far as annual cases or investigations initiated. So starting in 1995, only 146 investigations were initiated. In 96, 184. And then it started creeping up a little bit. In 97, 237 incidents reported. And then in 2001, 305. Now remember, 2001 was the year of the attacks on the World Trade Center. And then they slightly started going back down in 2002 to 2004 between 279 plus cases, where then in 2004, a total of three 110 investigations were initiated. But then it started getting better. That number started going down. In 2005, only 205 cases reported. And then in 2006, only 137 cases. And then it continued to kind of stay around that number and then really go down in 2016 and 2017. In 2016, only 102 cases. And then in 2017, only 91 cases. And then it started going back up again, back to over 100 cases. But you can kind of see the pattern here between 150, 180 investigations initiated each year. And then in 2021, in 2021, 1,000 75 cases. So we jumped from 183 reported cases in 2020 to 1,075 cases in 2021. Now, so far in 2022, there have been 32 reported cases just in the month of January. And January isn't quite over yet when this report was done. Now, as far as the 2021 unruly passenger data goes, we're talking about interfering with the duties of a crew member. That violates federal law. We have federal aviation regulations that state that no person may assault, threaten, intimidate, or interfere with a crew member in the performance of the crew member's duties aboard an aircraft being operated. You have the numbers of the table that reflect all cases that FAA investigated that cited violations of one or more of these regulations. It also contains only those incidents reported to FAA. So there are a lot of incidents that don't get reported to FAA, but reporting is at the discretion of the crew member. Then you have security violations that are excluded from this particular report. And those cases are handled by the Transportation Security Administration. The repercussions for passengers who engage in unruly behavior can be substantial. They can be fined by the FAA or prosecuted on criminal charges. And as part of the FAA's reauthorization bill, FAA can propose up to $37,000 per violation for unruly passenger cases. Previously, the maximum civil penalty for violation was $25,000. One incident can result in multiple violations. So again, this $37,000 is per 
violation. So if your behavior is cited for multiple violations, you just start multiplying that 37,000. Yes. So let's talk about some of these incidents that fall in this category. Recently, American Airlines flight that was bound for London from Miami turned around mid-flight over a mask compliance. It pretty much looked like the airplane did a U-turn. An American Airlines passenger plane bound for London turned around mid-flight due to a mask-related disruption last Wednesday. American Airlines Flight 38 with service from Miami returned to Miami due to the disruptive customer refusing to comply with the federal mask requirement. Local law enforcement met the flight at Miami International Airport. According to the airline, this was the Miami-Dade Police Department. It was called by the airline regarding a female passenger who refused to wear a mask. Once the plane made it to the gate, the passenger was escorted off the plane by MDPD officers without incident, and the passenger was then dealt with administratively by American Airlines staff. And this is according to the Miami-Dade Police Department. And according to flight tracking, the site called Flight Aware, the flight landed back in Miami one hour and 48 minutes after it departed. It was on board a Boeing 777 aircraft, and then the flight was canceled after the incident. There were 129 passengers on board and 14 crew. Fortunately, there were no injuries to customers or crew member. But understand that you have now disrupted 129 passengers and 14 crew who were supposed to have a flight to London. That flight was canceled, so they certainly didn't get out that day. And who knows what other expenses were accrued for each of the passengers and the airline alone. That's a lot of fuel just to take a one hour flight that was supposed to be a transatlantic flight. And it puts everyone in jeopardy. There's some safety issues there too, because if a plane is fueled for a long haul flight, then its landing is calibrated based on the amount of fuel it has. Fuel weighs, right? So these are a lot of different safety concerns as well that are problematic. And so these unruly passengers, maybe they think their shenanigans are cute, but understand that you're not only disrupting other people's lives and schedules, you are also creating a safety issue and concern. There have already been 151 unruly passenger reports logged this year. And again, what I said earlier was based on the 32 were investigations that were brought on or initiated. But again, there are some that haven't reached that investigation status and there are some that aren't reported. But overall, there have been 151 unruly passenger reports logged this year alone in January absolutely crazy and this is based on FAA data through January 18th. Then there was the United Airlines flight to Israel from Newark, New Jersey. Now this one really takes the cake. The aircraft was diverted because some travelers decided that there were seats available in business class that they upgraded themselves. Yes, you heard that right. United Airlines flight to Israel diverts due to self-upgraders. A transatlantic flight returned to its origin 
But this time it was because of self-upgraders. Yes, some of you said, there's some seats empty in business class. I think I will take this seat. The flight departed from Newark as scheduled, but then problems arose after takeoff. According to the reports, two passengers tried to self-upgrade to business class, thinking that because the cabin wasn't full, they should be allowed to sit there. And of course, the crew told them, yeah, this is not how it works. It's not how any of this works. <laughs> but the passengers refused to comply and returned to their original assigned seats. Now, witnesses on board claimed that these passengers then, put in quotations, rioted meaning they absolutely refused to go back to their seats or to give up the business class seats that they claimed for themselves. At this point, the plane was near the United States and the Canadian border, and the decision was made to return to Newark to offload these passengers. And the plane ended up landing back at Newark shortly after 1.30 a.m. Now, granted, the flight took off at 11.05 p.m., so just over two hours because of these two passengers, the rest of the passengers had a flight to nowhere. Police met the flight on arrival and the passengers were allegedly arrested. United's flight status page said that the airline tried to reschedule the flight for 2.20 a.m., but that did not happen. The flight was canceled because of airport conditions is what the airline cited. Now, how did these two passengers see this ending? I have no idea. Did they just think that they would be allowed because of their bad behavior to just sit there? Mm, no, it doesn't happen that way. <laughs> and the audacity to even think that this is something you can do. Now, we're not sure if the passengers were drunk or just decided they were entitled to that seat. Not really sure about that. Well, that's all I have for travel news. And when I come back, we're talking about Greece. We're going to Athens. We're going to Crete to Santorini and to Spinalonga, so don't go anywhere. This is Traveling Culturati. We explore cultures and destinations. We share travel news and travel tips to keep you well-informed and prepared for your next travel adventure. So go ahead and up your travel game with Traveling Culturati. Visit TravelingCulturati.com for more information. Welcome back to the Traveling Culturati. I'm your host and travel pro, Javon Harley. Make sure you head on over to the website, travelingculturati.com, and join the travel club and connect with me on social media. You know, we go places and we want to make sure that you're joining us anytime we travel. Coming up very shortly, you know, we're going to be in Dubai three times in February and in March for the Dubai Expo. So we have February 15th through the 22nd. We have February 23rd through the 6th of March. And on that one, we're going to the Maldives as well. And then we also have the AfroZones Dubai Sound Off, March 3rd through the 9th. And unfortunately, the Dubai Expo will finish in March. We have Fiji coming up April 27th through May 5. Yes, I wish I was there now because it's only like 10 degrees here and it's going to get colder. <laughs> and then in the fall, we are going to Greece, September 1st through the 9th. I am so excited. I absolutely love 
the destination of Greece, Mediterranean. I just want to go for the food. (laughs) The food there is wonderful, but we're changing it up this time. We're going to Athens and we are going to Crete with a couple of other stops in Santorini and Spinalonga. So I can tell you all about it, but it's much better if I phone in a favor from some of my partners in Greece. So joining me today is the team from the DMC Horizon, who we're working with to put together our program to Greece. Thanasis Fokas and Irene Basilato. Hello, and welcome to Traveling Culturati. Hello, Javan. Very nice being here. Thank you very much. Kalispera from a snowy Athens, actually. Snowy Athens. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> well, it won't be snowing in September, I know. Definitely <laughs> not. I did not know that Athens gets snow. Is that normal? No. First time that we've had snow in the last 10 years, if I'm not mistaken. Wow. And so is it cold? Yesterday and today, it's pretty cold. Nothing in comparison to what you guys have in the U.S., it's very unusual for us. Usually we drop down to about five degrees, but currently now it feels like minus five here. Okay. Now I have to put this in perspective because Irene is talking about Celsius, not Fahrenheit. So that's very different. When you're talking about five degrees, you're talking about maybe 40 degrees Fahrenheit. So five degrees Celsius, approximately 40 degrees Fahrenheit. Irene, I have to tell you that it is in Chicago 10 degrees Fahrenheit. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> you certainly beat us. You certainly beat us. <laughs> so needless to say, I'd rather be in Greece. Now, we are going to Athens, to Crete. We're also doing some stops in Santorini and Spinalonga. And we're going in September, September 1st through the 9th. So what kind of weather can we expect in early September? The kind of weather that you go skiing, but water skiing. Greece is affected with the worldwide weather madness that we have all around, but at least September usually is kind of stable. So you'd expect something around 75 degrees Fahrenheit, clear skies, nice sunshine, and and usually there's not so much of a breeze. So it's a very, very comfortable kind of weather for outdoor arrangements, And even during the evening, it's not chilly. It's a very, very comfortable temperature. And the whole of the day is quite nice, actually. I would say it's the most ideal time to actually come to Greece because you've avoided July, August, which are the two months that we do have heat waves. And it can be rather uncomfortable. When you go into September, the weather really tends to come out to be fantastic for those visiting this part of the world. And it's a little less crowded as well. I would imagine. Yeah, because most of the schools have started to open up. So all the Europeans are going back home. So basically, it's even better on that aspect. So it sounds like a perfect time to go, in my opinion. Now, is it the same? Are we talking about a variation when we go from Athens and then go to the Greek islands? If there's one thing that we love about our country is diversity. Javon, the difference between Athens and the islands, and then adding on Crete into the equation, everything is different. The only thing that's the same is the sun that shines over our head. Everything else can be quite different. I mean, we're starting off from Athens. It's a metropolitan city, a metropolitan capital. 
offering all of what you would expect out of a big city, plus the fact that you have the Athenian Riviera and proximity to the sea that adds on to the whole of the experience that one would have in the city. We fly on to Santorini, which is, for me, it's still a unique scenery with the cliffs, with the colorful houses and all of the blue and white that everybody sees around. And the energy of the island is one that cannot be met anyplace else. And then we continue on to Crete, which is the largest of the Greek islands. It has a history of its own. It has a culture of its own, almost. The size of the island includes options for mountain trekking and the seaside adventures and beautiful mountainous villages and some very super cute seaside ports. The diversity and the difference in all of that is something that I personally set at the very, very top of the points of interest in Greece myself. Crete is one of our unique islands where the traditions and customs are very strong and very vivid. So they will get a feeling of what really Greece is all about. We have to hit some of the things that we're going to do in Athens. That's going to be our first stop. So let's start there. And Athens has always been a city on the world stage. But what are some of those iconic things to do in Athens? Well, in your program, you will be doing the visit to the Acropolis, which is the top and the most important highlight of the city. And I'm sure that everyone coming over will want definitely to go there. The hotel that we're currently holding is an amazing one. And the location is fantastic because as soon as you exit the hotel, you're more or less like a few steps away from the Plata, which is the old part of Athens with its beautiful narrow streets and all the souvenir shops and the multiple traditional types of restaurants. There will be an orientation tour so that people will get the feeling of where they are, where everything is located. And everything is very, very close by to doing any sort of shopping, whether this is souvenir shopping, whether they want to go buy clothing, shoes, leather, you name it, it's their jewelry. All of this is all the way around. How old is the Acropolis? About 2,700 years old, approximately. You know, I've seen such a difference. The first time I visited the Acropolis, there were many areas that we could go to. And then as the time went on, they started closing areas off because tourists always behave badly. They destroy (laughs) things. So one thing I do want to say is make sure that when you are a tourist, that you preserve these sites for the future. Because I have seen that difference in visiting a place like the Acropolis. And these are treasures that we want to keep near and dear to us. There's also a museum there. Is it worth it to go to the Acropolis Museum? The new Acropolis Museum has been named to be among the top 10 museums of the world. So definitely is one that is worth visiting if you're into that kind of information, historic archaeology and all of that. So it is definitely a must. And due to the fact that it's located at not more than about 10-minute easy stroll from the exit of the Acropolis site, it's something that can be very easily combined. The Acropolis itself is considered an outdoor museum, but I guess that they have some more special things in the museum itself that you may not see on the site itself. As a matter of fact, they do, because apart from the monuments themselves, the core buildings, let's put it this way, 
There are a number of decorative elements all over the buildings that you see on the hill at the Acropolis, the monuments and the Temple of the Parthenon and all of that. The decorative elements and some very important statues that are where at the time made part of the building are now taken off of the actual site and taken into the Acropolis Museum for preservation purposes because they can better control the climate and the whole of the atmosphere around it. So they make sure that they are in a better location to make sure that they are around and available for everybody to see for a longer time. So the main buildings are there, the main temples are there, but most of the decorative elements have been taken down into the new museum of the Acropolis. So uh, yeah. well, very for- important items are, are placed there. Yeah, for preservation, as you mentioned. Now, Irene, you mentioned Plaka. Can you explain to us what is Plaka? There's the suburb that's located right under the Acropolis, the first area where you would have found people that were living there. And they still have a lot of apartments there, but they're very traditional, very unique, very narrow streets. Buses cannot enter the Plaka. You can only go by cars or sedans, and it's walking streets all over the place. So what we usually do is that once we exit the Acropolis, we may have a visit of the Acropolis Museum, like Nancy said, it's about a 10-minute walk. And then from there on, head into Plaka to go and have an amazing Greek uh, taverna-style dinner or lunch at one of the tavernas. Or we may also do a sort of an activity and see how sandals are made, what the kombuloi is all about, visit amazing, unique little corners where you have to search for them to find out about the Greek mastika, the liqueur that comes from the island of Hios, and so many other things that you find there. It's a traditional, unique area that you only find in that part of the city. Nothing in comparison to the rest of Athens. Yes, it is beautifully laid out, walking up the hill there, and the restaurants are just dotted as you go up, as well as the shops. Perhaps one of the most vibrant areas in the heart of Athens, actually. So Plaka is definitely a place that you want to visit and experience with lunch and shopping or dinner. And then also, of course, the Acropolis and the Acropolis Museum. Any other top things to do in Athens? There's a long list of very, very interesting museums to visit. Not all of them dealing with archaeology and history and all sorts of things. So depending on one's interest, there is definitely a location, a place, a museum that can be visited and see what the influence of Greece has to do with this item or general point of interest. I will name one which is like one of my favorite museums, which is the Benaki Museum located in the area of Kolonaki, which is a museum that actually can travel the visitor from the ancient Greek times right into the history of modern Greece. So it enables the visitor to see the whole of the route that the country has followed from the ancient times to today, to modern days. A very interesting one. But there's many other options on museums. Other things that can definitely be arranged, either readily available or custom-made through our team, would be activities and tours that would have to do with culinary interests, with interests in photography, in architecture. There are many different things that one can do on the seaside. And while in Athens, what I also find to be of an interest would be to visit an island that is located close to Athens. I'm talking about distances that are not more than maybe an hour, an hour and a half, that will 
bring you into a totally different area, although you are very close to the city. I'm talking about locations where you can find some hidden coves with crystal blue waters and some amazing small beaches that can also be just for your group, just for your friends. So it's not only about archaeology, it's not only about history. As you very well mentioned before, food is also something which is very highly recommended throughout Greece and obviously in Athens as well. So there's a long list of different options that can be considered depending, of course, on your own one's point of interest. Now, we are continuing on to Crete, where we're actually spending most of our time. And Irene mentioned earlier that Crete is something completely different all in itself and is really the true Greek culture. So let's talk about Crete, getting there and the destination itself. Getting to the island of Crete, actually, there are two ways. There's one by the ferry, but that takes quite a long time. Therefore, the best and the easiest is air travel, where we will be flying down by air. And on our arrival, we will start immediately with a visit to the beautiful site of Knossos, some free time in Heraklion town before we continue to our hotel, which will be the Creta Maris. The Creta Maris is located approximately 35 minutes from the city of Heraklion town, which is the capital of Heraklion, of Crete itself. And not very far from the drive that we will be doing the following day to go to Spinalonga. Spinalonga is an island that, as Irene said, was used to send people that had the leprous disease at the time. It's located on the eastern side of the island of Crete, on the Bay of Mirabello. Nowadays, it's an area that can be visited so one can see the settlements there for those people. And it's quite an interesting walk around and getting to understand and see that the life that people had over there. And the general area, the bay around where this island is located is also very, very beautiful with some amazing beaches and some super cute uh, small ports. And the whole of the drive to and from is also one that can be quite interesting with a number of points of interest to be visited on the way. All in all, the difference between the island of Crete and the rest of Greece is what Irene mentioned before. It's mostly cultural. Cretans have quite a different and distinctive way of living. They have quite specific cultural background. Just to note here that the civilization of the Minoans, I'm talking now way back in the ancient time, preceded Athens and what we have known to be the golden years of ancient Athens by 3,000 years. I'm talking about 3,000 years prior to the Athenian golden age of the antiquity. We're talking about here a civilization and a culture that has very, very, very deep roots, which people that live there and consider themselves being Cretan fully respect and understand. And you see it by the way that they would welcome you. You see it by the way that they would treat you. It's the feeling you get just stepping your foot on the island is quite, quite different than any other place in in Greece. And so island life in Crete, what does that look like for someone visiting the island and staying on the island? 
If they're going through the villages, they will see the traditional lifestyle. They will see the old grandmothers dressed in the black dresses because, unfortunately, by that time, they will have lost a husband and a father or something like that. And after a certain age, tradition and the customs here is that the women usually just wear black and have a black scarf on their head. You will see that people still going to some of their fields with their donkeys. So this is part of Crete that still remains, which you will not find so easily on any of the other islands. They are very hospitable. Like if you're going through one of the villages and you bump into somebody that's standing by the door, they could easily welcome you to go into the house and they will offer you a shot of eraki, which is in the small glass, something like Oza, but much, much stronger. So they'll offer you that to drink bottoms up, by the way. And they will offer you, of course, a cracker with some cheese. They will not let you get drunk on that. Ah, and okay. They start very early in the morning. Huh? It's not that after some time we have this. It's throughout the day. So going through all those little small villages, whether it's going to be on an organized tour or even on their own by renting a jeep or a car, people will see the difference from what they will see in Athens to what Crete is all about, and also the experience on the island of Santorini. Each area has vivid differences. Crete, you have that welcome and that very strong feeling that all the arms are open there to take you into there and hug you and make you feel like you're at home, as long as you don't drop off the backside, because, of course, we must not forget that a lot of vendettas between families exist on the island of Crete. So there are very... Fantastic people, just as long as you abide and respect each family and traditions and customs. I just wanted to quickly add something on the island life that you mentioned that obviously has to do with the time of the year that we're talking about. There have been cases around about maybe late April where you'd have people go alpine skiing in the in the morning and water skiing in the afternoon within an hour and a half drive. So it is an island that can accommodate for almost anything you can imagine. Some of the most beautiful beaches that would resemble anything, if not beat actually, anything that any of us would have seen on tropical islands with palm trees and stuff, you can have it in Crete. Stunning villages that can also be snow covered during winter times, you can have it in Crete. The food, I'm not even going to get started on that. So it's a magnificent destination to include on one's trip to Greece. Now, the waters that surround the Greek islands, which body of water are we talking about? It's the Mediterranean Sea. The Mediterranean Sea. Okay. And uh, where is that in proximity to? Because you have the Aegean Sea, you have the Mediterranean Sea. The Aegean Sea is actually a part of the Mediterranean Sea. The Mediterranean Basin, the Mediterranean Sea, is the one that covers everything from Spain to Turkey, from Italy to Lebanon. So all of the basin is the Mediterranean Sea. So the part of that water that is on the eastern side of Greece, on the map between Greece and Turkey, is the Aegean Sea. There's obviously some more divisions of that, if you want. So the water that is just facing Crete is Criticopelagos. So it's the Sea of Crete, for example. But generally speaking, 
all of what we're talking about is the Aegean Sea, which is part of the Mediterranean. Now, we keep mentioning food, so we have to go there. We just have to. So folks, just get ready because you're going to want to find your nearest Greek restaurant (laughs) after this. So you mentioned earlier, Irene, taverna or tavern style cuisine. What does that mean? It's the simple version of a restaurant. You can go in shorts, you can go casually dressed in long pants where you will get fresh food. It's homemade cooking. So even what we will say, like the pasticcio, the moussaka, all the stuffed vegetables are made by somebody from the actual home themselves or the family that owns that, they will have cooked. And it comes out freshly done from the tzatziki, the aubergine salad, everything you name, you can possibly say, is done within the taverna by family members that are served to the people. Fantastic. So it's basically a family-owned restaurant. And short of visiting someone's home, pretty much a family-cooked meal. Correct. Exactly. Exactly. And also the wine, the most typical way that you serve the wine in such places is what we call in a canata, which we, what we call is house wine, where they serve it in a metal jar or a glass jar. So they'll bring it to you. They'll ask you if you want white, red, or rosé, and they will bring it, and that's called house wine. They do have bottled wine if you wish to go that way. But nine times out of 10, I can tell you that the house wine is amazing wine as well. And of course, never forgetting that you're going to have that reki as well at the very beginning and at the end and in between. And what is that? What are we talking about when we say the reki? The reki is the equivalent of grappa in a way. It is distilled from grapes. It is traditionally made, well, reki in Crete, of course, but there's also some other variants that are being produced elsewhere all around Greece. So we're talking about quite a strong alcoholic beverage that is very, very similar to grappa, so people can relate to and understand. There's some variants, there's some raki would have anise, some raki would have some other herbs infused, but the regular, the plain one that looks like plain water, and this is what troubles many, is very, very strong and something that Titans say that keeps them alive, actually. Yeah, I think it preserves us all inside. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Is there a national dish? And then we can talk about what those main regional dishes are for the places that we're visiting. But is there an overall national dish? Because there's so much in Greek food and Greek cuisine. Very well said, because there are many dishes that are very well linked to Greek culture. But if there's one thing that has been known throughout the years would be the Greek moussaka, the Greek moussaka. This is an oven-baked dish that includes eggplant, zucchini, potatoes, minced meat, and bechamel sauce on top. That is the most traditional and most sought-after dish that uh, we will find people will be asking for no matter what. Also, if we're talking on the island of Crete, a lot of places you may find, apart from the seafood, which is excellent and amazing, you also find the way that they will cook the lamb on the spit, where it's not like we do it in other locations where they will put it on the steel and it turns round and round. They tend to open up the whole lamb and the fire is in the middle and they cook it slowly and beautifully. That type of meat can also be amazing, fantastic, along with tzatziki and all the other stuff that we make to go with that. 
And masaka, as I've had before, is a layered kind of dish. And that bechamel sauce is almost like a cream sauce. Is there a particular Cretan dish that stands supreme? Cretans have their own pasta culture. They make a pasta which they call stufichta. It's a traditional pasta that they make and they accompany that usually with lamb. Let's close it out with some of the top things to do in Greece. So we have Athens, Crete, Santorini that we'll be visiting. We talked about many of the things, but if we can just do a quick list, let's say top five. In Athens would be that they definitely need to visit the Acropolis. They definitely need to stroll through the Placa streets. The Acropolis Museum would be a highlight as well. During the free time to have a cup of coffee at the top of Lycabetus Hill and see the whole of Athens at their feet would be a must. And then depending if they're on the cultural side, adding a couple of museums like the Benaikio, the Cycladic Museum, most definitely, or a drive down to Cape Sunion. And for Crete? Crete, they will be going to Spinalonga and they will be visiting Knossos as well. So two of the most main highlights they're going to do. If they're having a free time, free day, and they would like to rent a car and do the Plateau of La Sisi and travel through some of the villages and stop somewhere on their way and go into the traditional taverna and have something to eat, I think would be one of the ideal options to do as well. And importantly, I would spend some time on those amazing beaches and especially where the Kretamaris has they have fantastic beaches where they can sit there and just take it all in. Absolutely. And watch a beautiful sunset. Yes. So Irene and Thanasis, thank you so much for joining me today and sharing your beautiful country with us. Thank you. Thank you very much, Javon. Looking forward to welcoming you all. Again, you can get information at TravelingCulturati.com and just make sure you stay tuned because we'll have the culture report. This is Traveling Culturati. We explore cultures and destinations. We share travel news and travel tips to keep you well-informed and prepared for your next travel adventure. So go ahead and up your travel game with Traveling Culturati. Visit TravelingCulturati.com for more information. Welcome back to the Traveling Culturati. I'm your host and travel pro, Javon Harley. Make sure you head on over to the website, travelingculturati.com, and join the travel club and connect with me on social media. There's a tradition in Ghana called Casa time, and Casa is a Twi word that means speak. This is a time when the community or family will gather and speak to one another to share history. It's normally the elders speaking to the younger generation to keep the history and traditions alive. Well, we're adopting this tradition to have a casa time of our own and speak with our group members who are in Ghana right now to have them share their experiences with us. And one experience that we've had is chocolate. Now, chocolate comes from Ghana. It's one of the biggest producers of chocolate, yet they have the fewest companies that give you the final product of chocolate. So who do I have joining me today? Hi, Javon. My name is Kelly Clarkson. And where are you from, Kelly? I'm from Arlington Heights, Illinois. Great. Well, let me first ask you, what was the deciding factor for you to want to go to Ghana? Well, as in other races of people who always go home, I was appalled at the fact that we never go home and Africa is where we're from. So I wanted to come home. 
Does it feel like home? Yes, it does. To not have to sing a lot and find the one or two other people of color wherever I travel, that everybody looks like a version of me is a wonderful feeling. I feel Mm. safe here. I can imagine. Now, of course, it took a little extra doing to get to Ghana, as it would for any place that we're going internationally now because of COVID. So how did you fare with everything getting there? It was an interesting endeavor, uh, but you have to fight. We fight for everything else that we want to do. And as an African-American, I have learned that nothing comes easy and anything worth having, as they say, it's worth fighting for. And I was not going to let the system, as it were, keep me from getting here. Well, it was I a am- last minute thing. The visa came very late, but I got here. <laughs> <laughs> well, I am glad you made the decision to go because I've been to Ghana many times. And I do understand that feeling that you get when you go to Ghana. But one of the experiences that you had was with 57 Chocolate, which is a Black-owned luxury chocolate brand it really lends itself to the 1957 Ghana's independence. And it's a pioneer in what they call bean to bar. So what was that experience like uh, for you? Did you know much about production of chocolate in Ghana? Actually, I knew Ghana produced cocoa beans, grew them and produced them. But most of them I exported for the monetary gain of other countries, not so much so for Ghana. So I was surprised and amazed and happy that we were coming back home, as it were, two sisters, and that they had realized that these cocoa beans were being exported and that they could do something to make money, keep the farmers farming, and take advantage of some more natural resources that are here. To know that they were originally Ghanaian, well, they're still Ghanaian, but they grew up in Senegal, Switzerland, the U.S., and found their way back home following their father's dreams to come home because Ghana will always be home for them. And to kind of try to fill out what they could do and find out how much cocoa was being exported. And when we asked, how did you get these farmers in this co-op? They said they literally got in their vehicle and drove around the countryside and found these farmers who had been farming forever and pulled them in as a united front and they produce the cocoa. They've been giving jobs to people who separate the husk from the cocoa beans. She explained the entire experience and we had an opportunity to taste test the chocolates, 10 different flavors. They really are good, really good. So this to us was kind of enlightening because, you know, sitting at home in the U.S., we always think of ways and we see the the photos on TV and we think of ways we can do to help or come back here and also be entrepreneurs. But she gave us like a step by step way of implementing something that really didn't take long on their behalf. And it just took off. And I thought, huh. (laughs) That is just such a wonderful story. And I know since 2016, they have taken the cocoa beans and processed them into this luxurious chocolate. And I haven't had a chance to taste it myself. I've heard about them for quite some time, and which is why I wanted to put them on the program and introduce them to our travelers. But I saw the pictures 
And there are two things. One, as you said, you had so many different varieties. So I want to ask you about those flavors. But I also noticed that they have Ghanaian symbols embossed on them, Adinkra symbols embossed on them. How yes, cool they are. That? Yes, they are. <laughs> yes, they are. And they have a little a little cue card to tell you what each symbol means. And I believe that's included in the packaging. So you can look at it and feel like you're imbibing something from home with a spiritual and ancestral connotation. So it, all together, it was brilliant and I enjoyed it very much. So what flavors did you taste? We had white chocolate, dark chocolate, something in between white and dark. We had something that was herbal, kind of, it smelled like the forest. Actually it was green. It smelled like the forest, but it had some medicinal purpose, but you could still taste the chocolate. Uh, something that also had a hint of coffee in it. It was such a variety, I think, to appeal to every palate. And when we were asking what's the biggest seller, and she was telling us about the Japanese buyers and the German buyers because of the different flavors. And I thought, huh, you can buy from us. You can enrich our country. <laughs> so <laughs> we really, and then she even taught us how to cleanse our palate and not just gobble up the chocolate, which we were wanting to do. But we had to cleanse our palate with a slice of apple and a bit of cracker so that we could really taste test it correctly. And what was your and favorite? And she was listening. I liked the medicinal one because it was different. And I kept sniffing it because it smelled like the forest. And just the dark chocolate. I believe my sister, who's also on a trip with us, Linda Logan, she enjoyed the coffee-flavored one. And you also may have noticed the plethora of women that were lined up around the back. They are also attempting to get a lot of women involved in it so that the women here can also rise up along with them. So all in all, it's a very, very good business idea. And I pray that they continue to be successful. And I pray that they bring their chocolates to the United States. And I see here they have a dark chocolate with sea salt. That sounds like mm -hmm. something I would absolutely love. <laughs> yes, I think I bit it once and swallowed. <laughs> it probably was really good. <laughs> so with us being here and bringing some of the order forms, there will be some coming to the U.S. because if we didn't order while we were there. We're taking the forms back with us so we can see, you know, for family members and such, so everybody can pick. So we'll be spreading the word for sure. Absolutely. And these would be some great gift ideas, whether it's for birthday, Valentine's Day is coming up. So I hope Absolutely. you you stocked your bag for your Valentine gifts. <laughs> <laughs> if it'll make it back home. <laughs> <laughs> well, the two sisters' names are Kimberly and Priscilla Addison. And again, the name of their company is 57 Chocolate, and they have many flavors. It's women-owned, and they are empowering women with their production yes. of chocolate and keeping th this production of chocolate, taking it from the bean to the bar, that's right. right there in Ghana, which is a fabulous, fabulous story. So I'm glad you enjoyed it and learned more about chocolate, the cocoa bean, and these two sisters and this wonderful company, 57 Chocolate. Absolutely. You know, coming home is always a great thing. <laughs> <laughs> it certainly is. Well, thank you so much for sharing and being part of the Casa time thank here. Thank you, Javon. Take care. Well, that's it for the show today. Wherever you go, go with all your heart. Confucius. Ladies and gentlemen. 
This is Traveling Culturati. We explore cultures and destinations. We share travel news and travel tips to keep you well informed and prepared for your next travel adventure. So go ahead and up your travel game with Traveling Culturati. Visit TravelingCulturati.com for more information. Ladies and 